Hi everyone, I'm Dalen, founder and design educator at Curious Core. Welcome to our Working in UX Design podcast series, where we interview a UX design leader in the industry on their experience in this emerging field. We've had UX professionals from Grab, AirAsia, Google, and more join us previously, and we're bringing you more exciting interviews this year. Stay tuned for this week's interview with our special guest, who is working in UX design. Good day, everyone. This is Dalen over here from Curious Core, and I'm the founder and general manager, and also your host for this evening. Uh, this evening, we have a special guest. Her name is Tina Huang. We have put her Chinese name in the event description. Uh, so she's also called Kui Tian. And Kui Tian, or Tina, is a product design manager with Rakuten Viki. And she manages and develops the product experience for the design team. Uh, and she actually was born and raised in Taiwan uh, before coming to Singapore to work for various companies and eventually Rakuten Vicky today. She enjoys solving complex design problems and just making people happy in the office. And she aims for simple, intuitive solutions that will improve the lives of people around her. Quaitian has been promoted in her role from a senior UX designer to a product design manager. And this evening, we're actually going to talk a little bit about her experience being a first-time manager and some of the lessons that she has learned along the way. She was also a product designer at Carousel. So because she designed for markets in the Asia-Pacific uh, for Carousel, we're going to ask her to describe some of her experiences around that as well. She has also done a visual design and UX work for various other companies, including McMe, as well as uh, the Bread of Life Christian Church. So we're very glad to have you over here uh, today, Tina, and we have a very international audience hearing. So maybe let's just start off by having you share with me what, what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis at Rakuten Viki as a design manager? Okay, sure. Day-to-day -day, um, usually is meetings, meetings, and meetings. So as a manager, the our role is basically communicate the design values to other departments, especially non-designers like engineers, marketing, content team, and even CX team and PM team as well. Because Vicky team is so relatively small, so 30% of my time will still working as a IC elite designer role. Yeah, so 70% of my time is meetings every day, and I need to find a little bit of my time work on the groundwork. Is there anything that you are working on or have worked on that you're especially like proud of uh, in your entire career? Oh, proud of definitely is my graduation project in interaction design uh, field that, uh, that I study in UK. So that project basically is how to like help the people enjoy dining together while dining and having fun at the same time. So my graduation project basically is design a game, racing game, and display uh, the game on the play. And how use up play the racing car basically is using a coaster. So the coaster basically is like when you eat on the table, uh, you use coaster to rotate the wheel. Yeah, so we hope by integrating this interaction design and gaming design in um, the dining experience, it will help increase like the users, uh, not just, you know, 
playing, like focusing on their phone, but at the same time they can have fun and chit chat during the gaming time. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And it's that sounds like a very interesting project. For some context, Quetian、uh, uh, or Tina has actually studied mathematics、uh, as her bachelor degree in Taipei,、uh, Uni- University of Taipei, and then she eventually went. Uh, to the Nottingham Trent University to study her masters in interaction design,、um, UX design, and game design. So it does sound like your your project was related to something that's around gaming. So you you have worked in this field for several years. I was just wondering, aside from the school project that you mentioned, is is there any commercial project that you would say is is interesting that you feel particularly Proud to talk about. Okay,、um, watch party and Vicky. I would say, yeah. So maybe before we we start, like, could you share with the audience, like, in 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 a gist, like, what is the Vicky product about? Because some of our audience may not be familiar with it. Oh sure. So Vicky is an online streaming platform where we sell most Asian content to the world globally, and our target market is a bit like Netflix. Uh, but our target market is more in U.S. and Europe, so we try to sell all the Asian dramas to the Western world. Where Netflix trying to sell the Western drama to Asian world, they do it completely different. But the goal is the same. The only different, uh, like I would say, main difference between Vicky and Netflix is Vicky is more focusing on community, the viewer community and the subtitle community, where those community user are. A big exit fan of Vicky, they really help also like translate like a、uh, Vicky's drama into multiple languages, and、uh, we have around two hundred languages. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Thank you for sharing more about Vicky. And you were saying you are proud of this feature called Watch Party in Vicky. Like, can you explain to us how it works? So, Watch Party concept is actually born、um, in during COVID. Where a lot of people are at home, don't know what to do, and people will start watching shows. But interestingly, is during our research、uh, in U.S. and Latin America, a lot of users,、um, they actually like U.S. users and Latin American users. They love Asian drama, but they don't have friends or even their close friends. Like they are not interested in Asian shows. They have no idea why this puppy love thing can be so popular. So they feel like this,、uh, you know, the things that they love, no one to share. So we found that this is an opportunity to allow, like Vicky, is opportunity area, gather all these people together to watch Asian drama and shows. So why not we co-viewing together, and makes them feel sense of belongings at the same time can share their feelings、uh, towards the cast and loves with someone who has the same and similar interests. As you, so、um, the watch party is a co-viewing experience, which、um, the Vicky have provided like certain content allowed like to co-watch with other people around the world. So even like you're from Brazil or you're from US, you can see that all the user was saying like, "Hey, where are you from?" And they were like, "Hey, I'm from Brazil. I'm from Mexico. How are you? What time is it?" So there's a lot of engagement happening in the chat room. It's a little bit like Twitch, but not really、yeah. exactly like Twitch. Walk us through a little bit about that process. Like how how do your 
first discovered there was a need for that feature and and then how did you manage to test it and, and validate that this is something the market needs? Yeah, so initially, we actually do a massive user survey. Uh, at the same time, we realized that at that time, a lot of like big tech company, uh, they also create a lot of like co-watch or co-viewing, you know, like like Line. I'm not sure if you've heard about Line that can multi, you know, multiple people like... Line's from Korea and it's really popular in Thailand, right? Yeah, and also uh, I think Meta also have a, a function called Watch Party that you can invite people into kind of like a group chat, video call group chat, but they can also view the chat and the feed at the same time so when that comes like company was thinking like okay maybe we as a streaming service we can do something different we actually do a massive marketing survey to two parts of users one is existing user another one is outside wiki like people who don't know we try to share the survey into certain forum or discord um, is a very good place also for the viewer community user type because these are the people who kind of like to hang, hang on online, gather together with people who have the same interests. After gather all this survey back, we realized there is a potential and needs. A lot of users are actually using Wiki, using Discord, and then share screen and open Wiki app or open a Wiki website to watch together, and even YouTube. So you found that out through like a, a survey. Did you guys also do like user interviews to ask more questions or? Yes, correct. We actually, after the survey, because we wanted to test whether if we uh, introduce this feature, would, would it really benefit to the user? So after the survey, I quickly create a prototype and then we do the user interview and to the potential user that might use our feature. That the user who have this behavior um, in, in Discord or trying to find a community, these type of user. And we introduced this prototype and let them try and play around. And they will start to give feedback to us, like uh, which function is quite cool and excited or which one is just nothing. I mean, I can find out in HBO also. So um, we actually test several rounds. I think two or three rounds about the, not just with usability test, we usually call this concept testing. Uh, it's not testing, you know, the, how the UI works or not, but it's more testing about whether this feature works or not. How many people did you test this concept before you decide like this is like worth going ahead? I think two rounds overall, 20, 20 user, not a lot. And yeah. what kind of metrics are we looking about? Like, does it have to be like 70% of them love it? in order for you to like go ahead or what's, what's going on? Actually, I would say this is a, a game bully thing of, of this feature. I wouldn't say usability test or concept testing really can test out whether the function that market will accept. Uh, everything yeah. have to roll out and monitor. It's still a small sample size after all. Yeah, compared to Vicky's uh, large uh, traffic and monthly user base. Like what gave you the confidence to go ahead after two rounds of testing with like 20 users? Definitely in user satisfaction store. 
And then another thing is soft score will definitely use it just to measure whether the UI and everything makes sense or not. But user satisfaction score is one thing. Another thing is what type of user is this and why this person rate this satisfaction number. And then this type of user, like compared to larger Viki user base, how many percentage of them is in nice. our largely Viki user base? So we actually compare to um, the large uh, Viki user base. And then to also do another round user interview, actually just wanted to check whether this type of user can drive more revenue. It's a bit like Instagram, 95% um, of users are viewer. Only 5% uh, of users are really a content creator. They create content every day. But with this 5%, it can empower the entire watch time and entire time that people can stick on Instagram. So we're trying mm. to see whether these type of users really can you know, just satisfy them. Then we can drive more revenue, more engagement and watch time. Yeah, that's pretty cool that you, you deep dive into that. Can I ask when you were launching this particular feature, like did you mm -hmm. choose to launch it only with certain markets first before launching it with the rest of the market? Absolutely. We actually launched in US first because US is still our logic market as the same at the same time is is a we also have a logic content library and license where we safer <laughs> to do that. Cause watch party is a very tricky feature where we allow users to watch shows together if they are not a paying or subscription user. This feature also kind of very critical and sensitive at the same time when we launch this feature in different markets. So what I'm hearing you say is that non-Viki subscribers can actually join their friends who are Viki subscribers in the watch party. Correct. So it's like a growth engine that we drive user, like a user acquisition. It's like, yeah, user acquisition. So far as you're kind of like, now the features out there, like, is it is it proving to be true? Is it proving to be like a growth sort of like engine for, for the business? I would say during COVID, it is. It really drive a lot of new user, also like word of mouth. Like any users who just, you know, even the first shows, uh, they watch on Viki that already wanted to use Watch Party is because we have this feature and we have the content they need. But after the COVID ends, we can see the adoption drop quite a lot, lot to be honest. Thank you for sharing. I, I wouldn't uh, press you on the numbers because I know they are commercially sensitive, yeah, yeah, yeah. sensitive. But I would like to maybe find out like what are you noticing from from this versus like uh, building a community? Like, do you see people like connecting offline after this feature is launched? Do you see them like building a community around like this show or something like that? Yeah, I think definitely like a lot of the key user like to share their loves and you know passion on Reddit. And also on Discord, actually on Discord, we have a Viki community, which is running by Viki user itself. So it's not running by Viki team. So it's quite interesting and impressive. So yeah, one of the reasons we are here tonight is also to talk about, you know, designing a product for a more 
westernized market, right, uh, yeah. on the west side of the world, and versus designing for Asia Pacific, which is on the east east side of the world, where you were at Carousel. Maybe we can start off by having you share a little bit about Carousel as a product and which markets were its primary markets. Sure, but I just want to have a disclaimer because I work in Carousel. It was like six years ago. So and that's so. fine. No worries about it. Totally. Yeah. Uh, you can you can share from your experience back then. So at that time, like Carousel target market, yeah, it's still Southeast Asia. It's in Singapore, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Malaysia, and Indonesia. Uh, when I joined at that time, yeah. And its primary function is uh, what is it about? Primary, it's still in Singapore. At that time, interestingly, is that the team is still like uh, very dynamic. At the same time, very small. So at that time, I think uh, we have quite a lot of Western designers and mixed with um, Asian designers. So we have a lot of debate when it comes to designing. This product is for Asian people. However, like Western people tend to, you know, do with like cleaner designs. One homepage, we just want to display two to three products with very elegant color. Where on the Asian designers, they tend to have this Taobao, Lazada, Shopee style of design where it's a little bit cluster, makes it like UI is a little bit busy. When I joined that time, there's a lot of debate with the design in every single page that we think this is better with users. Before we go into that, which is a really very interesting part of the conversation, uh, just to okay. give some context, Carousel is like a marketplace for use products, right? They're kind of like very much similar to eBay where they have a lot of different li listings uh, and, and people can actually um, ask owner who's selling, like what's the price that they want to sell at, uh, but the, pr the listing price is also there. So let's, let's get into this debate where you, you and your colleagues back at Carousel, you know, East versus West in this case, more cluttered, which is the Asian design, and one is less mm -hmm. cluttered, which is the Western design. What was the conclusion in the end? The conclusion in the end, we base on the primary markets, which is Singapore. And Singapore has a lot of expect, like you, a lot of foreigner, right? So we wanted to still maintain Western style, clean style, but at the same time, some pages will look a little bit cluster and busy. I wouldn't say messy, but busy. Because in Chinese cultural, I don't know whether uh, you have studied some Chinese cultural mention, like become busy makes people feel like you have business. If we kind of go to the flea markets in Taiwan mm. or like even in Thailand, if anyone visited Thailand before, like the, the markets are always busy, right? The, the stores yeah. are always packed very closely together. Interesting. At that time, Carousel wanted to position in the middle. So we still wanted to be clean. At the same time, in certain uh, screens, we still wanted to have this Asian cultural vibe inside. So this is a bit like, I would say... Thanks to the head of design that, uh, at that time, really helped us, I would say, fix through all this, like debating. Uh, would would you say you guys like hit a sweet spot in the design yeah. and balancing between East and West? And after yeah. that, you all saw all your numbers like went up. Yes, correct. It, it's really like a sweet spot because Singapore market has a lot of foreigner. And at the same time, also, we are selling this to the local market. So we want this to be balanced. At the same time, can Western people use it? They can also see that this is a very easy to use app. Um, I can also buy and sell easily when I move house around. And for local people, they will still feel like, oh, okay, I can still get a lot of things. 
Carousel still have a lot of like items, products, categories, like compared to Shopee and Lazada and Taobao, for example. For context for our international audience, Shopee, Lazada, and Taobao, I'm sure all of you know, it's it's very very popular as an e-commerce app in China. Uh, Shopee and Lazada in Southeast Asia are one of the biggest commerce platforms for stores and shops to kind of like sell, whether they're small, whether they're of bigger brands. So just to kind of dive a little bit on this East versus West mm-hmm. kind of debate. Now, now that you're in Vicky, like what are you kind of adopting? Because when we say it's West, you also have Latin America, right? Which is also I I would say share some similarities with the Asian mm-hmm. culture. How are you balancing it between like North America versus Latin America? Latin American, they're speaking Portuguese and Spanish. They are all coming from Latin like words. So it's very similar to English. Like most of the things are left to right reading. Where it's compared to Asian market, some character is up and down when you're reading it. So it's it's yeah. much more different, like the Asian design and Western. But for North America and Latin America, the main difference actually is the message, the copy that we deliver to the audience. So. Latin user, this is what we found during the research. They tend to be easily satisfied and also very passionate about like the love of their actor and actress. They will usually share a lot, lot very loud, you know, like use very extremely like those these kind of words, like to share their interest about things. So the copy is very crucial for us. Like we try to. Uh, localize our product copy in those country and make it use more like passionate words uh, when it comes to show recommendation. That's a very interesting insight, and thank you for sharing that. In terms of copy, I hear that you're using more passionate words, which which is also like how they speak in real life. <laughs> they're they're very very yeah. passionate people. And then for North America, it's kind of like more neutral. So we 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 kind of explored that on the content design bit. What about design? Did you all make any、uh, differentiation in terms of localizing the, the design, perhaps like the colors、uh, or anything、mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. For the design wise, I would say the color wise, we because Vicky is still as a brand, we we want to use color like、uh, address our branding. So the color wise, we didn't change that much, but the feature that these countries adopt is a little bit different. So for US、um, users, usually very picky on system stability or certain UI. Like not very user friendly, or、um, the content that we provide doesn't have complete English、um, subtitles. A lot of complaints usually it's coming from US, but they also have higher spending power when it comes to Latin user compared to Latin American user. They are more easily satisfied, even though our subscription, sorry, our subtitle is not complete. At the same time, also these users like to gather together. You know, like Latin users always like to、uh, hang around, have beer after work. This kind of culture also happens on Wiki, where they like to create a forum and community to talk about things, random things even, or make friends. Um, they are very easy to open up sharing their Twitter, Instagram account, even on Wiki platform, which. Wow. It's a bit annoying for for us, and 
like also for Latin America, their spending power is quite low. So these type of markets, usually we like to drive more, we call it AVOD. AVOD is like advertisement on demand word, like people mm. who, who don't pay, but they come here to watch, watch with ads. I think that's a, that's a very interesting um, model, which is also something Netflix has been exploring, right? It's kind of like yeah. a, a payment light kind of like plan. That is quite interesting. Well, I, I really like that conversation and how it's going. Like, is Vicky also in the European market by any chance? Actually, European users still able to watch, but we don't like invest much effort. But I'm not allowed to say the future plan for now. We are trying our best to invest in certain country now. That's good enough for me. So uh, I gather that the American continent is like one of the main markets. So you're mm-hmm. designing primarily for the US market, as you said. It's really interesting because Vicky is, most of the team members are based in Singapore, or am I mistaken about that? Yes, correct. But we have office in China, in US, in Korea as well. But your CEO or your head of product sits in Singapore? They're all in US. That's really interesting. I mean, if it's your biggest market, it makes sense for uh, for them to be there. Uh, but you do have a product design team here in Singapore and you're, you're doing yeah. product work here in Singapore. That's good. Do you get to do like immersion trips, like go to the US and actually like talk to users or like observe users, um, did, does any of that happen? So we are actually planning. So at PASS, we always do remote user interviews uh, with the US uh, users. But at the same time, we also target Latin America. However, I don't speak Portuguese or Spanish. So we have a local agency who help us do everything like user research, user recruitment, everything. So what we have to do is get all this insight translated into the insight that they translated into English and we analyze it. So I have a general question. Like most of our listeners are from Asia and they're based or they're working in Asia Pacific. When you're designing for Asia or you're as a design UX designer, and especially like looking at how diverse Asia is, Do you have any general tips or pointers like what we should look out for when we're localizing for local markets or designing for Asia in general? I'm not sure whether you have heard a research before in the Purdue University, the global navigation. So basically, the study is to try to understand if the international brand like Starbucks or Uniqlo, they sell all the products around the world. How do they make sure their global navigation suits the local users uh, when it comes to their product also sell in West and also sell in Asia? So the study found interesting that um, the, this global navigation, um, how they measure is the achieve results such as fattest performance time, the lowest error state rate, and greatest biggest user satisfaction they use this three measurement to measure whether this global navigation ui exists success or not the finding is the eastern market prefer vertical layout for the global navigation however for the western market you know such like chinese using english interface they prefer horizontal interface to vertical interface so it's quite interesting uh, for me, because when I read this, uh, their study, this vertical and horizontal UI navigation is really very much 
uh, related to the Chinese and English characters. Where in Japanese, Chinese, and Korea, a lot of the reading is coming from top to the bottom, and all the like Western world are always from the left to right. So that's why this kind of affect to how Eastern and Western user when they do the navigation are also a bit different. Yeah, I really like that,、uh, and I think it, it's also important for our listeners to understand that this is very much dependent on the market itself, whether they're reading from left to right or or top to bottom. So at least I think for Singapore,、uh, we're still reading reading things from left to right, as well as like for、uh, certain markets like Indonesia and Malaysia, it's still kind of like a left to right format.、Uh, would you agree with that? Like, because I I believe、uh, Carousel also targeted some some of these markets. To be honest, a lot of thing is still experimenting because you know, like a lot of Chinese product are going into Southeast Asia market. As I mentioned, like, um, like those like Taobao, Lazada, Shopee, those big e-commerce brands. These、uh, product will actually train users how they navigate the product as well. So that's why you can see、um, a lot of product. In the Asia market, it's trying to be a little bit like Chinese stuff, where it's a bit messy, cluster, but at the same time you can also navigate. That's that's something very interesting that we learned today. I believe there's also like character differences in、mm-hmm. in terms of like different characters.、Um, as as we had a previous、uh, speaker kind of share a little bit more about it. Certain countries have more characters versus like less characters.、Mm-hmm. Have to kind of work with that、uh, as a designer. Are there other things that you think、uh, we should look out for when we're localizing design for local markets? The feature and marketing. I think these、mm. two will definitely be a key differentiator and how you're gonna enter and hit users' heart. Because、uh, I'm not sure whether you all kind of observe Uniqlo,、uh, how they target their you know clothing styles in different market. This is something interesting. I saw in Taiwan, they will try to use Taiwanese way of having fun with others or all, all those influencer Taiwanese influencer dressing style in their we call it billboard main page, the hero hero landing page. Yeah, yeah. the hero image on on the、yeah. homepage, right? Yeah. That image is super critical for localization. What kind of image that you can really hit users hard with their cultural? I also saw the. Indonesian version in Uniqlo, where they use their local styling, and is it Malaysia or Indonesia? I forget. They use a bit like Hokkien style of wearing、yeah. and clothing style, and yeah, to put it on the hero landing page, which people will think like, oh, actually, this product knows me, knows my culture, understand me, because this will actually kind of. Gain users' interest and trust at the beginning. So marketing on the localization, I think, is super crucial. Yeah, thank you for highlighting that. I hear you were making some tweaks、uh, on the copy side. Like, do Vicky likewise from a visual point of view make such tweaks when they're localizing? The marketing, yes. So our content team and marketing. Uh, both teams work、uh, very closely together. So our marketing campaign and show recommendation were really based on、uh, our data to see like which type of shows that、uh, the user like, and the graphic designer will actually do some tricks on the image, and to express certain elements that only that cultural or that country has. In、mm. the newsletter or in even the show recommendation image, and sometimes with the Copy itself.
Yeah, that's really interesting because I I believe some of our uh, audience and listeners over here are also working very closely with their marketing teams or are handling marketing design responsibilities, and uh, that's definitely a very important factor uh, to actually adapt your designs to the local market. Let's spend the next twenty minutes or so talking about your journey uh, in your career. Mm-hmm. You became a manager. That's about one year ago. Uh, it's like your first year as a manager now. What What are some of the lessons that you learned um, switching from being an IC, which is an individual contributor, to to being a manager that you would like to share with the audience? I think mindset is the first thing that I have to change, and also reflect myself as a leader. So mindset is coming from like at past I see always manage projects, manage things. How can you push this project? Um, have a better performance metrics, delightful UI, those kind of things. But when it become manager, you are focusing on people. Uh, to be honest, my first three months become a manager is a little bit challenging for me, by just changing this mindset. However. I find out a way that can easily observe as a junior manager. So it's like as an IC, we design a product to a user. Eventually, company earn re- revenue. But as a manager, we interact with our members and eventually drive revenue to the company. So this is how I uh, switch my mindset. And at the same time, I see all my team members. As a user segmentation, this is my mindset, and I was thinking like, how might I, as a people manager, satisfy with my user, which is my team members, and eventually they can grow and learn and happy at work, so the company can earn money eventually. <laughs> this is the thing I think it would be easier for an IC to transform their mindset quickly. If they think your team members is kind of a user persona, because different team members have different style, different personalities, uh, soft skills, yeah. hard skills. Do you yeah. do you kind of like adapt your leadership style with every team member then, or is there like something that you prefer and that, that you stick to? I actually adapt uh, every single. Uh, uh, team members, I use different ways about like helping them and helping them grow and give them different kind of guidance based on their preference. Because different individuals have different ways of receiving sometimes feedback or sometimes is they actually are doing very well, but they will keep saying that I did so badly. Okay, my design is so bad. But so for this time, people just need to give them hint, give them, you know, praise, comments to help them gain confidence. So in one day, they will be more independent to drive their projects. Yeah. So I actually will change my style based on different okay. individuals. That sounds great, and I I think that's the best kind of leadership that i i learned as well i mean this this is like what we call situational leadership based on the situation based on the person you you adapt mm-hmm. it and to get the outcome and the result that you want because that's actually what matters would you have any other sharings or learnings that you might want to share with other um other first time uh managers uh other than having a the right mindset i think there are two things 
So one thing is the um, I actually read a making of the manager book from Julie Zhao. I think it's a very popular book for every single person. I heard yes. Yeah, I heard. And there's one or two chapters mentioned about leaders and managers. They are different. Um, however, I would say that in the smaller design team like Vicky, um, especially if your design team is um. Less than like fifteen people or ten people, like all the manager somehow had to play a role as a leader as well. So I would say like uh, for me, my current role is have to be a leader at the same time have to be a manager. And I also read an article was very interesting. They mentioned like as a leader, you need to create a vision into the world. So all your team members, who is kind of your followers, will try to base on the vision, your dream wonderland that you want to create. So they try to work for you. And as a manager, your job is management, which is often like how you bring it to like fruition. So it is important to get people on the bus. Bus to get people on the bus is like a leader, but in order to let the bus move. You have to have gas and working steering wheel. So, gas and working steering wheel for me is like a management. You need to kind of like help them grow, so everyone can move in the same directions. So this is like my learnings. Like my role has to be a leader and a manager at the same time. I think that's quite an interesting analogy and also like distinction. I think a similar one I've heard is about instead of getting. Like this is a, an analogy that's、uh, related to being like a captain of a ship, right? So instead、mm-hmm. of getting people to just do their jobs on a ship,、uh, yeah. get them to yearn for the feeling of being at in the sea, right? That's that's the job of of a leader that they should love、um, coming <laughs> to the boat to the ship to kind of like work as a part of your crew. They have to yearn the sea, right?、Um, versus、mm-hmm. like just doing their job to to keep the ship functioning. That's also Another analogy that I've heard. Thanks for sharing tips on on that,、um, and I'm sure、uh, you'll be learning lots more along the way.、Um, would you have any tips for people who are looking to get promoted, as to become a manager? You know, like what what would you you know you got there right? Like obviously you're quite outstanding in in what you're doing. How should people kind of like work towards getting promoted? Do you have any general tips on that? To be honest, when I've been promoted, it was unexpected. <laughs> yeah, but I do ask my manager and also my ex colleague or those director level person who used to work in Vicky, like, why do you think like my boss got me promoted? And they were saying that actually is based on one very main characteristic: how this person can harmony collaborate with. Nearly every type of people. This is、wow. one very big angle, and at the same time, how can this person like、uh, peacefully influence others to buy in your design to others? So these are the very two critical things that、um, I would say that my boss maybe found I'm a little bit different from the others. So it's not because 
you have very strong, you know, skills on, on hard skills, on designing, on researching. It's not about that. It's always about soft skills. Because as a manager, a lot of times, seventy percent of my time, my current working days is communicate with different departments and also trying to influence your work and also solving conflicts if there is. And how can you use a very like softened way and also very powerful uh, way of persuading others. It's a key that I would say your manager would be looking after. So it's not really about your hot skills. It's really a lot on collaboration, hot soft skills and influencing. It's good to know that it's it's about that because I think, um, yeah, I think I I think there's only so much you can improve in your technical skills, but um, like in terms of soft skills, in terms of leadership skills, there's always like room for improvement to be better. Whether it's managing yourself, whether it's managing others, I'll make a guess over here, but I probably like that. There's definitely no major problems with your work and and your delivery as an individual contributor as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But they also took into account like your soft skills and your ability to work with others, uh, and yeah. your ability to persuade others um, to kind of adopt your point of view, which is is leadership in its own form. Mm-hmm. So that's very very important. Uh, so for all listeners, uh, don't forget to improve your soft skills as you're growing your career as well. You kind of uh, took the risk uh, to come to Singapore to to work, um, mm-hmm. and I think I think you took several career career risk. Um, number one, you took the risk of becoming a designer after studying mathematics, <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah. after that, you took the risk of like coming to Singapore after working in Taiwan. Can you can you explain what went through your mind <laughs> before you like decide to take that risk? Yeah, sure. So when I was in my second year in my uni, I actually already know mathematics is really not my interest. I don't want to be a scientist or accountant or a person who dealt with algorithm every day. At that time, I tried to explore various options. And eventually, I find like visual design is something that catch my interest. So I actually took a minor in multimedia design eventually in my third year in uni. And after digging more and more, um, I realized this is a whole new world and I really need more. I need more training and time to learn. So I actually uh, went to a design institute in Taiwan, which is a bit like Curious Core that helped people transition to a design industry. But the interesting thing about this institute is they collaborate with a university around Europe and US. They somehow also invite all the lecturer or the professor in that uni to come to give speech. Sometimes we'll also review our portfolio, like give us suggestions that what kind of candidate they are looking for in that field. Luckily, I successfully apply uh, interaction design uh, field in, in the UK. After I graduated, I actually went back to Taiwan to work around like close to three years. And then also luckily, like there was a headhunter uh, found me. I think when the Taiwanese company was bankrupt <laughs> at that moment of time, my third year as a uh, UX designer, that, that company basically bankrupt. And that company has certain reputation in the Singapore industry. 
So the head, that's why the Singapore headhunter found me and then um, contacted me. So that's why I'm here in Singapore, continue my career journey. That's cool. Were you on LinkedIn back then or like how did the headhunter found you? <laughs> to be honest, like uh, when I was studying in UK, LinkedIn also kind of very popular in UK. So I already had my file set up during that time. But Taiwan, it's not using LinkedIn. It's another professional, uh, yeah, more local like... one. That's a really interesting story on how, how you transition from mathematics to UX design uh, and then how you came to Singapore, which I, I believe part of it was luck. Part of it was also that you had the experience already, um, so you were ready for that opportunity. What did you learn when, when you're coming to Singapore or when you're working in Singapore, like in your first few years? Like what, uh, what, what, what were some of the things you know, that stood out for you? Because I, I obviously it's very different working in a UX job in Singapore versus working in a UX job in Taiwan. It's very international environment, I would say. Uh, when I joined Carousel, I never, I can't imagine that. Well, there's like twenty nationality in one company. Where my my job in Taiwan at that time is all Taiwanese and all very, uh, you know, Taiwanese style a boss where. Carousel at that time is very international, open, and transparent. Not much hierarchy. So this is the first thing that at that time you I'm trying to get used to, like the working environment. And in Singapore, also the design community, um, although it's very small, but it's somehow kind of like oh A person or B person, B person know your friend or friend. It's a small city. <laughs> people know people. You're right. Yeah, and also a lot of event in Singapore, a lot of like like meetup event or a lot of like design industry advocator will try to share their thoughts, ideas, challenge in the company, and also trying to influence the tech industry to make sure like other designer has a better life <laughs> in in the team. This is something uh, at the, the moment of time when I was in Taiwan, not it doesn't happen very frequently. Um, mm. But in Singapore, I actually see quite a lot. So I can get to join the design community, know different company designers, how they work, and get to know mm. each other. Now that you're in Singapore, you've worked here for several years and you work on some international products. Do you have any intention of going back to Taiwan and contributing back to the UX industry over there? Or what are your future career plans? In short term, no <laughs> yeah because like i mentioned that taiwan's uh, ux maturity i would say compared to singapore is still relatively low they treat most of the art ui designer even their job title called ux designer the company actually don't really see much value unless you are an international product like like yahoo like like google like banq all those global brands they actually value UX designs and company willing to spend effort on that area. Whereas most startups, they are more focusing on product stability. So they actually 
still want to hire a designer that works well in UI, no matter what your title is, like whether it's UI slash UX designer or product designer, whatever your title is, the company still think you are a UI designer. I think that might take a couple of years to to catch up, um, and it yeah. depends really very much on the job opportunity. I'm sure. Now that you've kind of gone through this journey, like being in the industry for many many years, being a UX designer, and I'm sure you're also hiring people. What kind of advice do you have for uh, people who are looking to enter the industry, but are you know finding it very competitive, and maybe they don't necessarily have the kind of like opportunities at the moment, especially with the tightening of, of uh, the tech industry? Like what kind of advice would you give to people who are trying to break into UX design? As a junior designer, I think there are two types of junior designer that I encountered at my past experience. So one type is that um, they... Uh, they went to like also like institute, <laughs> studied the whole process of UX, and then came out to find a job. And they assumed they were used the portfolio that they work in the institute to find a job. However, it's very different from the actual project you are going to working on in industry. And then the junior designers, some of them were thinking that. Um, they like to go with more like strategic thinking when it goes to a UX designer role in their first job, which it's not possible to be honest at your first job because UX designer or product designer or UI UX designer as a junior, um, you have to know how to create your craft. You have to know how to execute before you land on strategic thinking ways of work so i think this is one very big interesting insight i found like a lot of people think like when i join ux designer i will do a lot of like strategic thinking a lot of little things but pm jobs less ui work but to be honest as a junior designer your first job is have to know how to execute a project like given a scope of the project, you have to know how to execute. To be honest, you don't need to know how to hit the business metrics or like how can this improve the numbers, like what PM is currently doing, but you need to know what problem you're solving. At the same time, how to deliver UI is very important uh, as a designer. You would suggest that for people who are still struggling to kind of make sure that their technical skills are strong so that they are able to get hired. Because for as a junior level designer, uh, we usually look for people who are capable of executing the project instead of thinking, oh, this project is not doable. Uh, I don't think it's hitting business metrics. These are more like senior designers. They will usually have, based on their past experience, they already knew like what kind of designs, what kind of um, layout will better fit the business. Are you speaking on behalf of the companies you work for, or uh, this is like more specific to Vicky, like how you all look out for junior designers? I would say the past company I worked for, every single company, we are always looking for a person, like a junior person, your first year career. Um, looking for more good at execution. However, some startups actually looking for a junior designer who can do literally everything. 
I know this sounds very very bad, but the thing is, I think it's a very good opportunity for a junior designer to sharpen from end to end experience, from user research till the UI deliverables, and also learning how to convince your work to different stakeholders. It's a very yeah. good. A stage and or playground. I think like kind of like a sandbox, uh, as you say, yeah. like a playground or like a kind of like opportunity to really grow very very quickly. Yes. With so many people getting fired right now, and it's not a really great time in the tech industry. You know, do you have any advice for people who just lost their jobs in tech? I would say advice, but maybe like any words of encouragement or tips. Uh, if someone just lost their job and they're trying to. Trying to like kind of like um pick up the pace and 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 get a job, right? To be honest, I have to. I'm standing from a hiring manager point of view, which all the tech companies in this period of time are trying to save money. Yeah, I have to say, saving money so that the company can still running, it would be their first priority. So sometimes during this time, even like very seasonal designers. Will have a little bit hard time finding job is just because they want to save money or maybe find someone who is less expensive. Which this also sounds very bad, but as a company, this is also what we are looking for as well. Um, and another thing is that um, I would suggest that if like going to the big company, if it's difficult, why not try more. Like potential startup or the startup who is going to profitable or ready or even is profitable, because like these startup actually give you a lot of space or give you financial kind of like safety, knowing that you join, you won't get fired, you know, within several months. And then during the start, may also they will give you a lot of like responsibilities that you can do end to end. You have more voice and influence on the main decision, on the business, on the design, on the feature. So maybe during this time, can join startup like profitable one, and then um maybe stay for one year and can like see the market for a while. And once the market is getting ready, all the larger company will slowly, slowly open up. Well, thank you for for the tips. I think that definitely sound advice to be open to joining startups and also be open to the idea of being flexible with your salary, especially when everyone's trying to like save costs right now. We're very glad that you're able to join us tonight, Tina. So, uh, for those of you who want to reach out to Tina, like uh, you can look for her on LinkedIn. But do note, like uh, you 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 might have to type her Mandarin name, but I think she's gonna change it pretty soon. Uh, so it's quite. Uh, Kui Tian, K U E I T I E N, uh, Huang. Uh, yeah. If you want to look for her on link, uh, LinkedIn, but I think she's going to add Tina very, very soon inside, so you can uh, just reach out to her. And for our listeners, thank you for listening to this. We hope this session and uh, episode has been helpful and useful for you as we talk about the difference between designing for East versus designing for West uh, and uh, Tina's lessons on. How to transition from being an individual contributor to being a manager, and thank you so much. And do join us next month where we have a different guest speaking about working in UX design. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please let me know what you think. 
Get in touch with me over email at mail at curiouscore.com. I would love to hear from you. Do also check out our previous interviews and other free resources at curiouscore.com. And until next time, I'll see you on the next episode. Take care and keep leaning into change.